This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The title of our message this morning is called The Art of Deception. And we have been talking about the different characteristics of Jonah. And we're going to talk about a very difficult characteristic this morning that he had, and that is deception. And we want to welcome our online listeners. And we have been in the middle of a discussion on what a lie looks like and what happens when we tell a lie. So the interesting thing about telling a lie is if you don't confess it, to the person that you told the lie to within seven hours, I just made that number up, seven's a great number, but within seven hours, let's say, something else begins to happen. What happens next? You have to hide. And then when people start calling out to you and say, why are you hiding? Why are you acting funny? Why are you being quiet? Why are you being whatever? Then number three, step number three happens, and that is telling another lie. Now we've got two lies to deal with. And if you don't get that confessed real soon, what happens again? You yeah, tell another one. So isn't it kind of funny, or maybe it's not so funny, that Jonah would actually try to lie to God? I mean, when God, when God looks into your heart and sees everything, and then you actually try to lie to God, like Jonah did? But see, there's two kinds of lying. There's lying right to their face. You look them right in the eyes and you go, I didn't hear you wake me up and I didn't hear you tell me to go to Nineveh. We call that a bold-faced lie. That's what most people call it. Then there's a second kind of lying, and that's when you don't say anything, you just do something else. Because you don't want to be accused of being a liar. And that's what Jonah did. He did door number two. Jonah decided just to go do something else. He decided to go a different direction. And then when he got on the boat and the boat took off and God decided to, you know, create some difficult circumstances for him. And the storm came up and started blowing the ship around. And the boards started popping off this thing. The thing is falling apart. And where's Jonah? He's not only sleeping, he's sleeping in the worst part of the ship. It's the point, the hull of the ship, where it takes the hit of all the waves, and he's sound asleep. Door number two. So then God allowed the storm to even get bigger. Until all the crew is all panicking, and they're calling out to their God, and they're saying, help us, help us. Whose sin is it? Well, the captain went down, talked to... Jonah, and he finally confessed it's his fault. He said, just throw me off the, off the boat. Well, you think he's being honest now, right? No, he's not. He's choosing door number one. He's overtly saying, it's my fault. I feel sorry for myself. I'm jumping off the boat. Or, in fact, he was so irresponsible, he wouldn't even do it himself. He said, you throw me off the boat. So all the crew decided to throw lots to decide who was going to throw Jonah off the boat. And they threw him off the boat. And he started to sink. 
And then this big fish comes along and opens his mouth. And it must have been a pretty good sized fish. And devoured Jonah. And now he's in the belly of this fish. And do you think he would get honest? He had to wail around inside that whale for quite a while. And at the end of the third day, took three days living in the belly of that fish. Three days. That's like Jesus being in the tomb three days. Huh. Maybe that story will preach. At the end of the third day, Jonah decides to get honest with God. God did not want Jonah honest with the sailors. He didn't want him honest with any passengers on the boat. He wanted Jonah to be honest with God first. The person you lie to first is always the second person you should confess to. Because the first person should always be God. And the second person is the person or people you lie to. Okay, now let's take a look at this. Okay, if you have your Bibles, you might want to uh, keep this page open because we'll be going back to it off and on today. But it's out of James chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And the translation I'll be using is New American Standard. And it says, Who among you is wise and understanding? A question is being asked by by James, which is Jesus' half-brother. What does it mean to be a half-brother? They have different fathers. So James being Jesus' half-brother, James's daddy was who? Joseph. And who was Jesus' daddy? God the Father. Because Jesus had the seed of God the Father, and James had the seed of Joseph. But that still makes them brothers, because they had the same mother. Okay, that's just something to remember as we read the book of James. It says, now, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, what does it mean to be jealous? That's right. So bitter jealousy is really bad. Bitter jealousy is that almost every day you're thinking about having what they have. In fact, you even have temptations of stealing it you want it so bad. That is bitter jealousy. It means bitter jealousy says, I'm going to do something about this. So it says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and what does it mean to be selfish? What does it mean to be selfish? Okay, to build up, to build up your wants and desires. So if there's any bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be so arrogant. What does it mean to be arrogant? Yeah, proud. You think that you're better than other people. You see, that's why you want what the person has. Because you think you're better. That's how it works. So he's talking about someone that's not very nice here. They're bitter. They're jealous. They're proud. They're always willing and wanting to build up their, themselves. And it says, don't be so proud and lie against the truth. So here's what we can almost guarantee. When you act jealous... And when you act selfish, and when you act, act proud like you're better than other people, then what is going to happen is you're going to lie against the truth. What is the truth? Jesus said, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. A lot of people think when you tell the truth, you're actually 
telling things that are accurate, honest, what really happened. And the truth is, that is not what truth means in this passage. It is you so lie against Jesus. Whenever you see the word truth spelled out, you need to understand that the way God looks at that word is his own son. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So anything that is true comes from God the Father. Anything that is bad comes from Satan, the enemy. God made a very simple plan for us to follow. He says, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly, natural, and even demonic. Demonic means some bad spirits that thankfully we don't get to see. But they're out there. And they're always whispering, trying to get you to lie. They're trying to get you to be jealous. And they're trying to get you to lie against Jesus. Huh. I don't think so. And earthly means, well, it kind of makes sense here on earth. There's a lot of lies that make sense. Right? Like some people believe that we came from monkeys. Do you realize that over 90% of the entire world believes we came from monkeys? Kind of makes sense. Not. But to them, it is earthly and natural, and it makes sense. And the majority of the whole world starts to believe it. And in reality, it comes from, we're not going to talk about it today, but they, the Bible calls that demonic doctrines. God never, ever, ever, ever uses the word truth when he describes the enemy. Because he will not mix Jesus into anything the enemy says or does. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. In order to get disorder in a room, disorder in a family, disorder in a town, disorder in a church, disorder, you got to get people jealous. you got to get them lying. And then pretty soon you're going to have bad things happening inside that town, home, church, or whatever. But the wisdom from above is pure. What does it mean to be pure? So if I give you a glass of water and it was half mud and half water, would you enjoy drinking that? But if I had another glass in the other hand that the water was purified, all clean, which one are you probably going to reach for? But 90% of the entire world reaches out and grabs the muddy glass of water. Doesn't make sense, does it? But that's, that's how these people are. Whereas these people want to drink from a pure glass, pure water, a pure life. And that's the kind of wisdom that is peaceable, it's understanding, it's very rich, it's very sweet, and it's very good for you. And it comes down from heaven. This comes up from below, and this comes down from heaven. And the two are never to be mixed. And when they are, people get confused. Okay. So we got some Hebrew today. Who would like to come be our open hand? Okay, Zion. You stand here. And who would like to be our weapon? Okay. And who would like to be our house? Okay. Now remember in Hebrew, we do something kind of different than we do in English, right? What's that? We read backwards. 
But you know, the funny thing is, is that we call it backwards, but this is God's original language, and he doesn't call it backwards. He calls it the right way. I think that's kind of interesting. So, we have here the, uh, the open hand, and I know it doesn't really look that much like a hand, but that's how they drew it, and they, they drew it by the look of fingers, and it's an open hand, okay? So, the actual Hebrew word is kaf, or kaf. Then the next one is a weapon. Now, I probably would have drawn a knife or a sword or something, but that was actually a rock that was tied on the end of a stick, and that was their weapon. So we have the open hand, and then we have a weapon, and then what's yours? A house. Kind of looks like a tent, because a lot of people lived in tents back then. Remember Paul's job? He would go and fix people's tents. That's how he kind of took care of himself when he would travel. He, he would fix tents and make tents. So we have an open hand, we have a weapon, and we have a house. And you put all that together, and what we have is an open hand that plunders. Whatever that means. It's got to have something to do with a weapon and a house, right? So I can see if you take the weapon in your hand, and you go into the house, what are you going to do with the weapon? Well, we're going to talk about it. Okay, you can have a seat. So, deceive is to have an open hand that plunders. Plunder, which is actually using these two Hebrew symbols together, is where we get the word plunder. And plunder is a weapon plus a house, which means to lie or to steal. And it's actually taking the open hand, grabbing the weapon, going into your house and starting to destroy what is inside that house. That's what plunder is. You're stealing what you want to keep in that house, and you destroy everything else. And that's how they used to do battles. They would go into towns, like when they took Jericho. What did God tell them not to do? So God said, don't take the plunder. So normally they just go in and destroy everyone and take the gold, take the chairs, take the whatever it is that they wanted to take. And God said, don't do that. Because that was taking a war with deception. And when you do this inside of a house, if you have someone who is a liar inside your house, like a child, a wife or a husband, they are destroying what's on the inside of that family. That's what this word is communicating. Now, let's take a look at the next word. We're just adding one word to it, to deceive. And this is how the Hebrew is written to today, to deceive. It's a projection. It's like this projection screen you're looking at. When you're, when you're thinking of the words to go to town, to deceive, to live, to, it's very active and it's projecting what you believe, like this projector is doing. What I created on that laptop, it's projecting onto the screen. But, there's even a deeper meaning. So I need three more volunteers, Tori. Okay, and I need someone to be the water, Phoebe. And then I need someone to be <coughs> the he, or the open arms. Okay, so 
this is drawn out actually in four different ways, but the original way was actually the picture, this is the person's hair, and this is the person's face. And it means, resh means head. So when you're talking about head of a house, it would be a head and then the tent, right? And you can start understanding Hebrew very quickly once you learn these simple symbols. And then they, they started to complicate it through the years, and it started to look like a nine, which was a person's head. And they wanted to show part of the body. But it means the same thing. <coughs> so then we have the symbol of water. That's this one here. Always kind of like to look at it. This is the bottom of the ocean, and these are the big waves. And that's how they drew out water. And then the third one is, do you remember from last time we talked about it, what it means? It's also where we get the word praise from, but it means behold. So it's the head and the two, two hands. Behold. So we put them together. And Tori, we have the head. And then Phoebe, you're the, and you are the behold. And it means what comes from the man of chaos. So you say, how in the world did we get chaos out of that? Water has always been symbolic for chaos. Always. It drowns. It washes. It buries sin. Do you remember why we get baptized? Your sins are buried. And you come up. Water has always been symbolic for destruction. When God destroyed the whole earth, how did he do it? With water. But there's also a purified element in water, and we'll talk about that later. So, water is very destructive. That's what created the chaos in the world, and that is exactly what God used after chaos, because when the water started coming, the people went chaotic started crying and screaming, and, and they knew they were going to drown because of all this water. It's a very horrible picture if you think about all the people, except for one family, that got left behind. All those people, the chaotic feelings they must have had, the screaming and running to the tallest tree, crawling up, hoping they would be saved. And God washed away their sins through the flood. Every living thing, and the earth is living by the way, every living thing has to be baptized by water, spirit, and fire. And that's why the final purification of the earth is what? Fire. Revelation says fire. Every Christian has to have water, spirit, and fire. Jesus had water. He went in and was baptized by water. He came out of the water and he was baptized by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell upon him and he was baptized by fire when he went through all of his trials. And literally sweat blood. He was under so much fiery trial. Okay, kids, you can have a seat. So, to deceive, we talked about uh, deception. But to go and deceive someone, you first have to be deceived. That was the first Hebrew word. So the second word is to deceive. This person is going to go and create chaos. 
they, as their own mind, are going to think about how they can bring destruction. And the way we start destruction is by a lie. You want to destroy your brother or sister? The best way to destroy them is to lie about them. That's how it starts. You want to destroy your town, your church, your preacher, your teacher, your father, your mother, is you start telling lies about them. Because people believe a lie before they believe truth. It's, it's the way we are. We shouldn't, but it's the truth. We'll believe in gossip before we'll believe from the Word of God. And that's why 90 plus percent of the entire world loves to live like that. Thank God for Jesus. Okay, now we're going back to our passage that we talked about earlier. Is Isaiah 28:15 says, "Because you have said we have made a covenant with death, and with Shoel or Shoal, what does Shoal mean? Hell has there is no hell right now. This is just kind of help everyone in the perspective of church history. Hell is used in the Book of Revelation. It is referenced in the New Testament. Hell is what's going to happen after judgment. Hades is what is in existence right now. So if someone dies and they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be in Hades. Before the term Hades was used, which is in the fourth revision of Hebrew, they wrote the Hebrew language, those symbols, four times before Jesus was born. The reason why they wrote rewrote the Hebrew four times is they didn't want people to figure out that the cross of Jesus Christ was written into the original Hebrew language. And that's what we talked about during our Communion Sunday. The Torah means cross, the Passover. So they didn't want them to know that, so they, the rebels would keep revising and redoing the Hebrew language. Not silly. When the original language that God gave us, he actually took his finger and drew it out with symbols so we would understand. House, tent, hand, head. Pretty simple, huh? My old friend, Frank Seekins, who taught me pictorial Hebrew, said that he believes there's evidence that when Jesus got down on his knee, and the Pharisees, you know those people thought they knew everything? And they were confronting him, and he got down on his knee, and he wrote something in the sand. Many scholars believe that Jesus used pictorial Hebrew because the scholars were the only ones that understood it at that time. And Jesus. That's how far removed the people were from the truth. That's why they hated Jesus. Because he was saying stuff they had never heard of before. So, Shoal is the word that was used for where you go if you did not receive Jesus Christ, but since Jesus Christ hadn't come yet, if God had not chosen you for eternal life. The overwhelming scourge will not reach us when it passes by, for we have made falsehood our refuge and have concealed ourselves with deception. So here's the word, shoal, that we were talking about. It's also the pre-word that was used for Hades. And 
the best way, even the even the scholars would describe it this way. It was like if I was going to take a retreat with my wife, I want to get a log cabin by a lake and relax, right? It's a retreat. This is actually described in the Hebrew as a retreat for people who hate God. That's the best word picture I have found in my studies. I am not going to go to heaven and retreat. I am going to go to Shoal or Hades and retreat. Isn't that a little warm there? It's horrible there. And they're like saying, well, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go over here and retreat. There's, there's no rest or relaxing going on in, in that place. So the word deception, I'm picking out key words out of this verse. The word deception is untruth or, since we said truth is Jesus. If you say an untruth, you're saying un, un Jesus. And if I remember correctly, Peter said an untruth or an un-Jesus person is a anti-Christ. You see where we get it? God's very simple. We're the ones that complicate it. So when you talk about a non-truth, we're talking about somebody who doesn't love Jesus? Just, I'm un-Jesus. Well, if you're un-Jesus, you're going to be deceptive. Kind of simple, huh? You're either of the man of truth, who is truth, or you're of the man of untruth, who is an antichrist. Pretty simple. That's something you can keep in mind, kids, as you learn to read the Bible throughout the rest of your life. Whenever you see untruth, just go ahead and say un-Jesus. Someone who does not care for Jesus. And some people don't even know they're un-Jesus. They have to be shown. Did, did you know that when you don't follow truth or Jesus, you're following the enemy. So you have to teach them. And they go, I don't want to do that. And so they receive Jesus. That's how the church is supposed to be working. Now, verse 16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a, a, a stone, a tested stone, a costly corner stone for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Who is this stone? Do you think that the Hebrew people believe that? They don't. You see, that's why they wanted to keep rewriting the Hebrew. They didn't want the Hebrew kids during Jesus' day to figure out that God had been warning them and giving them open windows to Jesus since... Adam and Eve being in the garden. They didn't want them to figure it out. But if you read pictorial Hebrew, you, you will see that God has been openly talking about Jesus from the garden. When did Jesus come to be? What year was it? It's a trick question. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, how long have they been, been around? Forever that way and forever that way. So you think about that. Jesus has always been around. Even in the garden, he was there. He was the truth. Where sin was chosen. That's exactly what we're talking about. Is that the sin was inside the devil. 
Because he made a choice in heaven, remember? And God removed him from heaven like a bolt of lightning because he became untruth. He fought Jesus. He resisted Christ. And he became untruth. And that was the first time in all of eternity that we knew of an untruth. It was when Satan said, I can do this. I can be the cornerstone. I can be this person. And God said, be gone from me. And he tossed him where? Right to the earth. And even kind of stuck him in a tree called the tree of, yes, which in pictorial Hebrew means tree of words. Words, 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 words. A lot of people who are caught up in words, 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 words oftentimes get caught up in deception. Instead of caught up in the word. God is singular, word. Satan is Plural words. When Moses asked who God was, what did he say? Remember? I am the I am the I am. In other words, any identity you want to say carpenter, lawyer, doctor, you know, Indian chief, whatever you want to call yourself. He's saying, I am the I am. I'm all the identities. You want to talk about trees? You're talking about me. You want to talk about that doctor that grew up to help people? You're talking about me. I am the I am. But people steal identities. They want to be more important. So we give doctors more importance than a janitor. And we give, you see, we start stealing fame, actually, is how the Hebrew puts it. We start stealing credit. And that's when we get in trouble. So I want to bring out the word laying, a, a primitive word, to set, which is intensively to find or found. And it is to sit down together, to settle, to consult, to appoint, to take counsel, establish, and to instruct. All those words, and there's many more, that describe the cornerstone. So what, what God is saying is when he puts this cornerstone in place of the church, and who's the church? Isn't it that big, beautiful building downtown? Who's the church? The bride of Christ is the church. If you've asked Jesus into your life, and you're in this room, you are the church. So you see, that cornerstone of even this little fellowship, this little church... The cornerstone is our counselor. Everything, all the weight, goes on that cornerstone. Without Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life inside this room, we're in trouble. And a lot of churches don't have those three anymore. They think they're the way. Their church is the way, their denomination, their whatever, their books. And they're the truth. Don't believe like so-and-so down the street. They believe they're the truth. And they believe they can offer the life. And in reality, it's opposite. Most churches don't have it. Jesus has it. No matter what bush you are preaching the gospel at, or no matter what building you're in, Jesus is the one that has it. And then believes is a very important word. 
So when we look at the, the term believes, which I can only cut and paste a little bit of it because it was a lot. This is from the Hebrew. But to believe is literally pouring yourself in. It's almost like a parent. Whether you understand this or not, if you have a daddy that you know loves you and you have a mommy that you know loves you, children almost always believe them when they're telling a lie and when they're telling the truth. Can someone please explain to me why that is? You got one that knows. Anyone else? Why do you always believe your parents? Zion? That's part of it. Some more input? Why do you believe your parents? You what? Because they say they're right. Parent, if I could, if I could give you the Hebrew word picture for parent, means God. God the Father. God the Son, follower. And God the Holy Spirit, power. It means God. Parents are like gods to children. So if you can lie to their face and they're going to believe you. And then when they get old enough, when they go, my daddy lies, they still believe them by their behavior. They carry it out. And then all of a sudden you're 35 years old and you're doing the same thing your father did and you know it's wrong, you know it's a lie, and you're still doing it. And then you go talk to the pastor and say, why do I do the things that I hate? Isn't that what Paul said? In Romans 7? For I do the things that I hate. It's no longer I who does it, but sin that dwells within me. This is very simple. Parents, you can lie or you can tell your children the truth. But when a parent speaks it, the child will believe it to be truth. The responsibility we carry as parents and patriarchs of families is enormous. Even when people get older, that's why they argue with pastors. That's why they argue with authority figures. It doesn't match what their father said. It doesn't match what their father did or their mommy did. So they fight it. And they choose, believe it or not, they choose the Bible of the parents over the Bible of God. Exactly. And the answer to that is if you have a mommy or daddy that doesn't tell the truth all the time, you still respect them, you still honor them, but you must learn to read the Word. Because that is God. That is Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit. And that's next week's sermon, is why should we trust the Bible? Who was Jonah really listening to? And then finally, I will make justice a measuring line and righteousness the level. So when you may have even seen your dad or your mom out there with a measuring line, Nathan, what's what's a measuring line used for? What is it? So isn't it usually in one of those little roll-up things? And what's on the inside of that thing? Yeah. So there's a bunch of chalk in there. And you pull the string out and you say, son, you, you hold this end of the string here. Dad's going to go to the other end. And so I go to the other end and 
I said, now hold it real tight. I'm going to pull on it. And then I, then I have Abby come along, and I go, okay, Abby, get right in the middle and pull it up and drop it. And Abby, what happens? Leaves a straight line from the father to the son. That's what's being said here. Not only do we need a straight line, for I am the way, we already established he's the truth. Now we need life. What brings life is a leveled, balanced life. And there's tons of people that believe in the, in the Bible. And many of those people are going to go, you know where. Just because you believe in the Bible doesn't mean you're going to get to heaven. Now those of us who know how to become saved know that. The level is what brings life. Someone explain to me what a level is. Very good. Most levels are pretty long, right? There's some that are little ones. But let's say this is a real long level. There's that little bubble thing on top there. This side is to set on the Father. This side is to set on the Son. The Holy Spirit brings balance. Make sure that bubble is right in the middle. I believe in everything Jesus says. I believe everything God the Father says. And the Holy Spirit brings that bubble in our lives. Where does the Holy Spirit live if you're born again? Phoebe, where does the Holy Spirit live? If you're a Christian. Where does the Holy Spirit live? Inside you. So that bubble's on the inside. Every day the Holy Spirit goes, no, no, to the left, low, 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 to the right. There we go. There we go. Okay, let's walk in. Now we're... That's what the Holy Spirit does. So the next time you go see your daddy's level, or your mommy using your daddy's level, maybe she's even got a level, think about that. Watch that bubble. And when it's perfectly in line with Jesus, perfectly in line with the Holy Spirit, you have this verse coming to life. God talked to us in very simple terms, always using word pictures. Refuge. It's a shelter. It's a place you want to run to. You're like being chased by the enemy. And they got bows and arrows. They're firing at you. What's the first place you want to go to? But I mean, real arrows are coming at you. Like what? Exactly. You want to get into a place that is a good cornerstone, solid walls, and supposedly, that's supposed to be the church. But since the church starts in this mortal body, and in your mortal body, then when we get together, two or more of us get together, we got ourselves going to church here. And when we are hurting, and the enemy is throwing darts and firing missiles at us, we need to run to each other. And we need to run to each other and say, Help! It's already been proven by people who are people helpers that the majority of the people in the world run away like Jonah did when they're hurting 
and hide instead of run to the refuge of the church, which is your mommy and daddy and your brothers and your sisters and your friends. Because see, we need refuge every day. And that's where we get hope, peace. And that's actually where we get rebuilt. Overflow is another very important word here. And it's kind of like the scripture that says, My cup does what? My cuppeth runneth overeth. King James. My cup runs over. Well, what's it running over with? Yes. Blessings, the life of Jesus. So now when you put all these pieces together, you have your cup running over. It's overflowing. So you can let it pour to the ground and be wasted, or you can take that cup that just keeps running over and do what? Well, you can only drink so much. You go find someone who has an empty cup, and you run to that person who, who really needs some, and you let it pour over into their cup. And you say, now when the cup starts to get full, overflowing, find another empty cup. That's how the church is supposed to live. Breathe. If you're having a, a bad day and your cup is kind of empty, go hang around someone that's got a lot in their cup. Don't hang around empty people. You know what I mean? But what did Jonah do? He went and hung around people who were empty. Who had a different God. Yes. This. I know. Now, secret, oh boy. Someone read to me the, de the definition of secret. You don't have to read the Hebrew stuff. Something you do not want to tell someone else. It's like if you broke a lamp and you went and got your blanket and you covered up the pieces on the floor. Isn't that kind of silly? But it's what we do. Instead of going to your mommy or your daddy and saying, I was wrestling around and I broke the lamp and there's pieces all over the floor. Well, most mommies and daddies will say, well, go get the broom. We'll go clean it up. But most mommies and daddies, if you lie to them and cover it up and they go out there, and they go, why is, why is Jimmy's blanket on the floor? And she reaches down and picks up that blanket. And the pieces go everywhere. How do you think Mommy's going to feel? And probably Mommy's going to give you a few more consequences because you covered it up. Exactly. Most parents are more upset about the lie versus the lamp. That's how God is. That's how Jesus is. That's how the Holy Spirit is. He cares more about relationship being broken than lamps being broken. That's what the New Testament was for. So, a lot of people demand protection. And they store their secrets. Not just one, but they keep storing all these secrets of all the lamps that they broke, all the stuff that they did wrong, they store it up in their storehouse. Right? Yeah. So, what happens is their closet gets all full of all these secrets. Well, sooner or later, 
They're not going to be able to get the door shut on that closet. You ever seen a commercial or you've seen maybe even your own house that the door pops open and all the toys fall out of it and the clothes come out of it and all the games come out of it because they're just stuffed so full? That's what this Hebrew word is saying. A secret, sooner or later, is going to push the door open and it's all going to fall out and everyone's going to see it. Well, we don't want that. So 18 says, your covenant with death will be canceled. And your past yeah, with Shoal will not stand when the overwhelming uh, scourge passes through. Then you become its trampoline place. That's the victory. People who deceive have a pact or a promise. Whenever you read the, the term pact, it means a promise. So they have a promise with... Yeah which is probably one of the worst words I could even think of. Because when I think about what that place is going to be like, a lot of times I just cry and I weep. Because I think about the people who have never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and I just weep. Because they made a promise. I would rather go have a retreat in this place than in heaven for eternity. And we already know what heaven's like, mostly. It's beautiful. Lots of trees, lots of grass. We know there's animals there. And the list goes on and on and on in regard to the beauty that is in heaven. We also know a little bit about what this place is going to look like. If you got a bunch of stuff in your closet, secrets, stuff you haven't told your parents about, or if you're grown adults, if there's stuff you haven't confessed to your wife or your husband or, or others, yes, I'm afraid when you do open the closet to get that one item out, they all fall out. And anyone who understands this concept understands that. So they start putting stuff up against the door year after year after year. And when you're a child... You don't have to go, go as far as having stuff stored up in your closet. But if you're an adult and you do have a bunch of stuff in your closet, I wish there was an easier way to get just one item out and get that one item confessed, but it doesn't work that way. Honesty is putting everything on the table and having a pure, honest relationship with the people that love you and the people that hate you. And why is it so important for us to have an honest relationship with people who hate us? Someone want to answer that? Confess it? And by telling the truth, the enemy did not have anything to pick on because he had already confessed it. But if he was hiding it, that's the way they destroy these candidates. Is they bring out stuff they've never talked about. And their campaign is over. Honesty with your enemy is also equally as important as with those who love you. James 3.11 says, Does a fountain send out the same opening, both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh water. No matter how much you fake it, you're not going to have fresh water coming from the ocean. No matter how much, how many times you go to Walmart, buy plastic fruit, and glue it onto the to the tree, 
Apple trees do not produce pears. Glued on or not. Even if it looks like they are. That's what Jesus, half-brother, James is saying here to us. It is not what enters the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth is what defiles the man. Now, it may make your, your stomach sour if you drink soured milk. But you see, what Jesus is referencing here is the way you talk, the way you speak, in other words, telling lies or telling the truth, telling things of the enemy or telling things of Jesus, will determine if you're going to get defiled. Defiled comes from being taken out and put somewhere else. In an office setting, to defile something, you take it out of the filing cabinet and you toss it. When you defile someone, you're taking them out of order and you're creating chaos. That's why Jesus said, do not gossip. You're creating chaos, taking them out of the file and tossing them into disorder. Even people who lie can be kept in order until you can reach them. And that's why Jesus asked us not to gossip or defile other peoples with our mouth. Very important passage for us. Finally, someone read our, our last verse, which is a repeat of earlier. But Jess, you want to take it on? So the next time that you or your brother or your sister or your husband or your wife or your friend or even your enemy tries to create chaos, disorder, lack of peace, peace means to enjoy one's refuge. Will people who have the refuge of H-E-L-L, will they ever have this? They'll have unrest forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. There's only one place to have peace, true peace, Jesus' peace. And that is in Christ. Very, very important message. Questions? Comments? Yes. And Jesus also says, Whatever you hear me say, it is not I who says it, but the Father who, who is saying it. And he also said, whatever you see me do is not I who does it, but it is my Father who does it. So when Jesus would say, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the way, he's saying, his Father is the truth, his Father is the way, his Father is the life. Sons are supposed to be an exact replica balance of what the father believes and if you have a father that believes strange things it would be probably a good idea to get to know God the father but a lot of daddies are insulted by that and they require their sons and daughters to be loyal to them versus loyal to God the father it creates problems but I know that my father made mistakes I know that my father sinned and but I know God doesn't make mistakes and God doesn't sin. So I've got a father that, that is absolutely perfect. And Jesus Christ never sinned, never will sin. So I know he's perfect. And I know the Holy Spirit's going to obey and, and work in my life to make sure that bubble stays in the middle. So whatever I believe about Jesus is perfect truth. Whatever I believe about God is perfect truth. And my life will be stable. No matter what my earthly father says, or my friends, or my pastor, or my teachers, or whoever. Though that becomes 
something that someone says, you weigh it against the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you go, that's not really in the Word, that throws the bubble off a little bit. And that's why next week we have to talk about why trust the Bible. That was Jonah's greatest error. The Bible is the Word. The Word is what comes out of God's mouth that is opposite of defilement. And when God spoke it to Jonah laying in his bed, he should have believed the Word that second. And that's why we have to talk about that characteristic. So let's sing our last song together. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events. And we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a bind, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.